This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Have yourself a film history. The history of film. From Brad Pitt to James Cagney and all of them Have yourself a very, very film history Merry Christmas, everyone. From Film History, the History of Film. All right. All right. Welcome to Film History. The, the history, history of film. We're keeping that uh, Christmas spirit going this year, y'all. It is Christmas time, Christmas 2021, right now as we record this. Uh, Potentially somewhere. our last Christmas. P- potentially, who we'll knows? See where the world goes. Yeah, and it's been raining for like two days in LA. That's so insane. That feels like Armageddon. There is going to be flooding. There's yeah. going to be like mass mudslides and flooding. Yeah, Musso like- and Franks <laughs> is going to be like rolling down Hollywood Boulevard. The building moment. that we're in is currently sinking into the ground. <laughs> we're just Guys. recording this in ankle deep water. <laughs> Don't you know Santa's immortal? Even if the world's over, Santa will still be making presents for all the boys and girls yeah. from the north. Santa's <laughs> terrifying. Santa is terrifying. Like, an omnipotent, ever-living being. Do you think he'd be up there making toys for us? He would be coming down and taking over the world. An immortal god that can move faster than the speed of light? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> an immortal god that specifically targets your children. Yeah, you know? and... and <laughs> like, is judge, jury, and, like, executioner yeah, as far yeah, as who gets who is good and who is bad. Yeah, and he some is. iterations of Santa back in the day from, like, Germany and stuff, it wasn't a lump of coal. It was, like, a demon that would come and, like, take your kids. Whoa. Like, your bad kids. You're Krampus, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Krampus right. would murder you. Santa Claus. Yeah, like, if you were a bad kid, if you, like, stole a book from the library, Krampus might come and, like, kill your whole fucking family in December, you know? Well, hey, that's, uh, that's, that's what we call deterrent. better watch out. <laughs> better not cry. That's what we call deterrent, brother. That's <laughs> damn right. That's no recidivism. <laughs> the Germans have a very stern outlook on the holidays. <laughs> Dude, that's funny you say that, because I was just thinking, as I was writing this for this movie... I was thinking, you know, we give a lot of shit to other countries for their, like, Russia, their weird cartoons, their weird, sad cartoons, and then you got, like, Germany, like Dev just said, like, a very, like, humorless, dry, joking type of German. But we're fucked up, too, man. Look, we had Home Alone, a movie about a home invasion, and a kid who reads, like, the anarchist cookbook one too many times. We got Peanuts, a short about the most fucking hated kid in the world fighting capitalistic Christmas, brought to you by a Coca-Cola, yeah. you know? And now we have It's a Wonderful Life, a movie about a man who becomes suicidal when the business that he has spent his entire life building goes belly up because of evil corporate raiders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, he's, he's a victim of circumstance. He is, he is a victim of the lower class. Yeah, yeah. And this is a perfect encapsulation of like how the subjugation of the lower class leads to deteriorating mental health yeah and uh uh you know uh it's uh if there wasn't for 
uh, plot ghosts, right? Uh, this man would be dead right now. Yeah, he'd be dead. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, uh, like I mean, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. It's like a, a Santa goes to court. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. that's fun. You know, like America. <laughs> these, but don't get me wrong. I have a great time watching these every Christmas. Oh, yeah. I love mm-hmm. these, and they actually do fill me with like Christmas spirit, but mm-hmm. I guess the overall message is like Christmas is kind of heavy and depressing sometimes. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, I, I would like to see a poll on how many adults actually find Christmas to be a jolly oh, time versus a, de- a depressive time. I think my most adults find the holidays Christmas. to be a depressive time. Because yeah. it's like either it, it's it either reminds you of family that's no longer here. Right. Or it reminds you that you don't have anyone to spend it with. Right. You're not or, a kid anymore. Yeah. Or it or like you don't have the money to get the loved ones you do have in your life gifts. Right. And so that leads to like depression. <laughs> uh, well, I think it's us guys. Yeah, I think you might be right. (laughs) Merry Christmas from film history. People out there that are listening to this right now that are like, only the the one who said Merry Christmas. There is nothing worse than I had one Christmas, very fucking cold Christmas in a studio apartment in in Koreatown in Los Mm -hmm. Angeles. I was so. I know. I I wish. I wish. The cold Christmas in in, Korea is my favorite foreign film. It was not beautiful Korea. It was fourth in Kenmore, you know? (laughs) And it was so fucking cold. It was this 1920s building, and I'm sitting there watching my TV on the floor, like freezing to death in front of like this little space heater. And this commercial comes on with these like pearly white smiley rich people in their big house and he just got his wife Alexis and it's got like the bow on it and I was like wow fuck you you know only the 1% like Christmas Christmas we can be greedy and horrible for 11 months out of the year and make it all up there's a Christmas Here's a Christmas movie. I might cut this if we actually like. The guys think this is a good idea. Like combine Christmas with like Robin, Ho- uh, like Robin Hood, and it's oh, like yeah. someone like robs from like the rich people to like give the ghetto like a good Christmas. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that. But hey, anyway, that's called communism. I love Christmas. Drake. I- <laughs> <laughs> Just look up fucking Stalin. They did that in the early 1930s. Look how it worked out. <laughs> I think I might be onto something. Drake would be on a blacklist in the 50s. <laughs> Just invented Christmasism. You guys were like started this episode off with like America's not great with like you know capitalism. I'm like, do you guys want to read Mein Kampf? What do you want? To <laughs> maybe we here? should maybe we should cut some of this. This might not be the jolliest. Um, anyway, so but look, we're gonna bring you some joy today. We're gonna bring you a great movie about like that starts out with like a kid nearly drowning in a lake, and the other his brother saves him and goes deaf. Yeah. Doing it. There's only one part of this movie that's happy. It's like the very end. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I decided I don't want to kill myself. <laughs> yeah. Like that's like yeah. And again, don't get me wrong, I watch this every Christmas and I love it. It's one of my favorite it's, movies. It's one of my yeah. favorite movies. I watched it twice making this episode just wow. because I just and the colorized version that they have out oh, on Amazon Prime. Interesting. Mind blowing. Interesting. Mind blowing. I guess Dude, I do. It okay. looks better to me, in my opinion, than if it were filmed in Technicolor. Mm. I don't know. I don't know how they did it. Um, Um, I will say I have. I saw before I saw the this movie. I saw the million things that have um, 
parodied, spoofed this, referenced this over the right, years. You course. know, this uh, a million like things guys. of like, I wish I was never born. And then the angel comes is like, let yeah. me show you what your life is like if you were never yeah. born. That's a way smaller part of this movie than I was expecting. Yeah. I was expecting that to be like the majority of this movie, but it's like right. the last third, right? Yeah, pretty much. It's like the first part of the movie because they begin with the angel stuff. You know, they begin with that. It like starts off like showing Bedford Falls just being wrecked with snow and it's beautiful. This and especially, like I said, I can't say enough good things about the colorized version because, like, they go down the street and some of the stuff I had never seen, like the neon signs, for instance. Like when I'm watching the black and white, I don't. Sometimes I didn't even know that's what they would look oh, like. You know, sure. yeah, yeah, it was really cool. But all these people are praying for George Bailey, and the prayers go up to heaven, and they show these weird, like, <laughs> unit. Like if you're on acid watching this movie, the first part is gonna trip you the fuck out because <laughs> it's like galaxies talking to each other, oh, but they're angels. Right. And they're like, yeah. we gotta send someone down for George Bailey. You yeah, know, it looks like right. the man's about to kill himself. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the, and then they, yeah. I like. I mean, so there are definitely suicides in this universe. That I like. They just pick who is worthy of saving and who isn't. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. Like you know what? Actually, Johnny doesn't have anything. He, so, to he saved his brother. He <laughs> saved some more people because he like stopped his boss from poisoning people. But uh, anyway, so this was 1947, yo. This was. Three yeah, years 46. After. This is, oh, this is, excuse me, one year after yeah. World War II ended. Dude, that's so, like, exactly, that's the perfect. Like, you can't cut everybody some slack, I feel like. No, <laughs> for sure. That's the perfect transition. That's exactly, when are we? You know, yes. like I like to do. Love the new segment. The new segment, when are we? We got to come up with like a theme for it or something. Yeah, I'll... But, uh, <laughs> when are we? <laughs> we are in 1946. World War II is over. Not a whole lot is happening besides a bunch of deals are being made now politically. Uh, you know, the Nazis are on the run in Argentina. And uh, every everyone is home now. Like, uh, not everyone, but the majority of all of these soldiers that were gone are now home and everyone is fucking like rabbits like this is where the baby boomers began oh that makes sense yeah this is the first year of the conception of the baby boomers because it's like basic- yo we just uh, lost tens of millions of human beings we should start fucking yeah, exactly. Also, it was like repopulation. It yeah, really was. And also, it's just like, you know, you just experienced multiple near-death experiences. Exactly. You're like, I don't know what I'm going. Yeah. I'm going to have fun yes, before I leave. I'm going to definitely, yeah, yeah. Life's short. <laughs> life is short, I found out. Like, many a times in front of my eyeballs, found out that life can be very short, and I I'm going to enjoy so this I saw so many virgins one. die. That will not be me. That will not be me. <laughs> it's just a bunch of guys, like, with shrapnel in their ribs, just fucking, you know, just making more humans and we lost 400,000 people over there in World War II less than you would think but also considering that we only had that's almost COVID numbers yeah I know and let and considering that we had uh, 130 million people at the time 400,000 is a big chunk Mm -hmm. you know so we had to get America back to uh back to running and these are men and women coming yeah. home these aren't just men these yeah. i mean a big population of women were also over over there so it's basically the american population is coming back you know 
and that's where we're at this year. <laughs> I'd like to imagine there's like the few people who didn't go, they'd be like walking through like the streets of Times Square and there'd be like tumbleweeds. Yes, yeah. It kind of was like that. I mean, 1942 especially, like yeah, you had you had whole towns that were basically just kind of emptied out, you know, mm-hmm. every single dude, a lot of the women are going to and uh oh yeah, you definitely had like the grocery store was empty. You know, like <laughs> traffic, not a problem. <laughs> not a problem. Imagine how uh, how everyone in Nagasaki and Hiroshima feels. <laughs> traffic was really not a problem for them <laughs> not for a while. Still, my God, it's still not the same. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> so one of the people returning from the big war uh, was our star of this movie legendary behemoth of an actor who has his picture in your hallway, <laughs> uh, Jimmy Stewart. And, dude, I knew that he was in World War II. He was in the Air Corps. He, he whoa, 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 actually, Jimmy Stewart. He not went not to the war. character, like no, the actor. No, 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 okay. the actor, Jimmy okay. Stewart. He became a colonel in World oh, War II. Oh, wow, okay. This man was like, he went to World War II. <laughs> like, he was not fucking around. He became the first major American movie star to enlist in the United States Army to fight in World War II. And so he was a big actor before World War II. He was a movie star. Oh. He was a 33-year-old movie star with an MGM contract. Wow. Yeah. And then he went to fight in World War II, and then he came back to do yeah. more movies? He was an Oscar winner wow. already. Wow. Yeah. Holy yeah. shit. This man went to war as like a very rich movie star with an Oscar. Was he drafted, or did he volunteer? He volunteered. Wow. They didn't even... He was Hell underweight... Yeah. They're yeah. fucking true Americans, bro. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. They'll, they oh. want you. But oh. he was underweight for infantry. Oh, really? So, and of course, everyone's a pilot. Jimmy Stewart, had, he, was, <laughs> he was a commercial pilot. So he joined the Air Corps uh, as, a, like, uh, as an officer, basically because he's a movie star and because he, uh, he had an education and he had a pilot's license. Mm-hmm. So they were like, yeah, come, you know, come fly these damn planes. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the end of it, he was a colonel. Wow. What happened with his MGM contract? Did they let him out of the contract? Did no. they pause it? Was this a legal battle? This was actually a cool thing that MGM did. Maybe one of the nice <laughs> things that they ever did. They kept him under contract while he went, uh, and he could do paid stuff on his leave time. He could go do like a public appearance for USO, or he filmed uh, a whole documentary while he was there, about joining the Air Corps, wow. and it got it won Oscar for best documentary. <laughs> wow! Yeah, and okay. uh, it caused 150,000 Air Corps members said that they joined because of that documentary wow. with Jimmy Stewart. Super yeah. cool, and he got paid yeah. for that too. You know, so yeah. MGM was doing stuff with him while That's he was cool. in the war. Yeah, I yeah. mean, any other recourse would have been a PR nightmare. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you drop Jimmy Stewart, good luck. Yeah, he could have like scuttled MGM. They would have bombed yeah. MGM. Yeah, he would have flown M- his plane over. MGM supports the Nazis. That would have been the headline. <laughs> my uh, my grandfather joined the army specifically because Elvis joined the army. Yeah, yeah, Elvis man. That was Elvis joined the army too. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was I mean, a great you know, PR stunt. It's kind of like a PR stunt. They're like, yeah. we'll just pay your oh. tab, and you don't get to fucking. We're not gonna put you. you're Elvis. We're not putting. He you didn't do like basic training. Oh. I don't think. Well, he might have. Yeah. He might have gone to basic. But oh, he okay. probably went to did basic. But I mean, he's yeah. not being deployed. He's like doing right. USO shows. Ooh, and movies we'll do that episode next like year. Elvis Presley. Is Elvis Presley? My grandfather joined and became a tank commander. Um, and he commanded a tank battalion that was like the dirty dozen so he was all of his soldiers 
were ex-cons and felons that took, oh, that's jail, sick. That took the army overtaken jail time. Wow. So they were stationed in Germany after World War Two, you know, during yeah. the Cold War, and they would sit on their in tanks on a line across no man's land and look Jesus. at the Russians and the Soviets on the other side, the East Germans. And like, just like flick them off and moon them, and they would just be stone cold and sit there and like stare on binoculars. It was great. He told me a bunch of fun stories. That's but yeah, awesome, it was hundred percent because of Elvis only that yeah. that inspired that. So I'm sure that wow. like any time a celebrity does that, especially back then, it mm-hmm. probably recruitment went through the roof. You know? Right. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. This was definitely a different time. This was not a. Uh, you didn't have to be drafted. You were probably going to go anyway. I, but yeah, that gives you a little bit of a sense of when are we here you know when are we when are we oh my god no that can't be it (laughs) i'll cancel the segment (laughs) but now i'll get into the movie here the movie that came out in the time period we just told you about this is frank capra's it's a wonderful life an rko radio release capra produced and directed this by the way big he's a big big guy this was uh, starring Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed with Lionel Barrymore, Thomas Mitchell, and Henry Travers, and a shit ton of other people. This thing was packed, dude. Cool. So was this the first big Christmas movie after World War II? Yeah, this was the first like big movie after oh. World War II. Or one of them. One of them in 19... 1946 was the year the movies came back. You yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't all about the war. You know? <laughs> but uh, no, I take... There were some big movies coming out. But, you know, yeah. this was definitely... Uh, the big Christmas movie after the war. But honestly, I'll tell you a little bit later, this thing flopped hard. Whoa, hard flop. Damn, yeah. it's like one of those. Scuttled companies. Flopped. Wow, wow. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it just yeah. became a cult classic later. <laughs> yes, exactly. Whoa. Yeah. It's a it's I'm glad we're talking about this. It's an cool. interesting I one. I mean, this is that's the reason why people say no to home alone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this is the what gives executives fear that's yeah. like, okay, well, is this is this going to be popular when I'm still running right, this company for 100 years? <laughs> yeah, that's very true. James. Yeah. Jimmy Stewart, you said, was the star of this. Who else was in this? Can you read that cast list back to me? This was Donna Reed. She was a supporting actress. Uh, you had Lionel Barrymore, just huge, huge actor, the Barrymore you know, dynasty Drew Barrymore's oh, uh, right, grandfather. Yeah, yeah. I, it's it's crazy. The Barrymores go back a really yeah, long time, really right? long yeah. time. They, he's not even the first one. You know, Lionel wow. Barrymore, uh, Thomas Mitchell, Henry Travers, who played the angel, and I just said a lot of other people because it's a big cast, and there were even there was some like Oscar winners in like the smaller roles. Wow, you know? wow. Yeah, Holy yeah. Shit. It was written by Francis Goodrich, Albert Hackett, and Frank Capra. This thing was based on a story by Philip Van Doren Stern, and this guy, he had written a short story. It was like a booklet called The Greatest Gift, which he self-published in 1943, and it's loosely based on A Christmas Carol. Okay, so that was literally my question, actually. Yeah. It was I thought this was based on a play. The play came later? Mm. Yeah, I mean, if I didn't even know it had a play. It's a wonderful life. Okay, yeah. well, I've seen a play rendition of this, so I just oh, assumed okay. that it was a play first. I don't know why. Yeah, gotcha. But- well, The Christmas Carol, uh, you know, yeah, this was 
It was loosely based on a part of the Christmas Carol. The part where the ghost gives some exactly. alternate dimensions. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, the really trippy parts <laughs> with all the ghosts and stuff. And uh, this was beautifully scored by Dimitri Tiomkin, by the way. it was The score is one of the best, in my opinions. But the IMDb description of this goes as follows. A young George Bailey, overwhelmed by family obligations and a sense of responsibility toward his community, feels tied down to a company he never had an interest in working for and a life he never wanted to live. As he ages, he sees his youth dreams and opportunities pass him by. Unknown to George, all of his friends and family have been praying for him to get through those hard times. Told through the point of view of a group of angels, he is met by his guardian angel Clarence as he contemplates ending his life. Yeah, this is the saddest story of all time. I, yeah, I've totally forgot about the reason he's at that job is so like that everyone else doesn't like die in poverty. Yes, basically. exactly. Because like, yeah. like, he was what going to go off to college or something. Yeah, he was going to yeah. go see the world. He, yeah, like it, it begins with him as a kid, as a uh, you know they called it a soda jerk. His job, what mm-hmm. he was doing. He worked at the pharmacy. Uh, helping the old man who owned it package up pills, and he would also pull, you know, mm-hmm. the Coca Cola tap for kids who came in and mm-hmm. scoop ice cream and shit. He was yeah. like a bartender, but a kid. Yeah. yeah, the <laughs> cocaine tap. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's uh, basically Willy Wonka. Yes, he's like he's uh, not nearly as fun as Willy Wonka. He basically just like bartended all day for children, you know. And he himself was like ten years old. And this was, uh, you know, they his ear is bad because he saved his brother from That's a right. frozen lake. And I don't know what the... He had an ear infection from yeah. saving his brother from this water. Look, back then, everything... Everything, everything just... happened. It was just all bad. Yeah, if you yeah. if you stub your toe, that foot's gone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, lost my, I lost my left foot because I stubbed my toe on the bedpost. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's... But, uh, yeah, Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown, you know? <laughs> yeah, and so it starts off with him working at this... Working at this uh, soda jerk place... And it's a really funny scene, too. It's these kids just pretending to be adults. They're talking about, like, you know, who who they're, like, trying to date right now. They're, like, eight years old or some <laughs> shit, you know? It's these... <laughs> and then George Bailey's like, yeah, I'm going to go see the world. I'm going to have a harem and break bread with kings and shit. Did like, you say harem? Yes. What? <laughs> he said he wanted to have a harem and multiple wives. <laughs> Dude, gnarly. Yeah, he was a gnarly little kid. He, he, was, he was an old soul, you know? There's no doubt about it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is the part where he also saves he the so the old man who runs the place yeah, fucking is like clearly hammered off his ass <laughs> and like George Bailey's like whistling and he's like hey kid are you a canary you know he's like he's drunk mean like you do he slaps these sh- he slaps George Bailey at one point to the point where his ear bleeds Whoa. this is boss oh that's right yeah you're, I, I, this, it's only been a couple years since the last time I've seen this but you're just again sparking neurons I, I know, forgot we're, the, yeah this is his boss that's right it I would be bad enough that. if yeah. it was his dad dude like, just fucking extreme child labor issues yeah, this yeah. is the leftist movie I've ever seen I love this yeah <laughs> dude dealing with child labor rights <laughs> it's insane but subjugation the, of the working class Bro, but the is the 1946 i don't think there there was only children left to work that's all that was left. <laughs> that's true that's true they're the only ones left here yeah that's very true and the old people yeah everyone but, else uh, died for your freedom god damn it <laughs> Dude, domestic but, abuse like this is well the reason he, the reason he slapped the shit out of him is because he noticed so 
little George goes, he, he notices that the old guy has just put a bunch of pills into a bottle from a bottle that says fucking poison on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's and he's just, like, damn. Why like, do we even is, keep that here? Yeah why, yeah, why do we have that mixed up with, why is this even possible to happen in the first place? But also, he, he like changes them out for the old guy. He's a kid. He should have been like, hey, man, uh, that's poison. Don't do that. But he's a kid, so he didn't. He just changed them himself. So the old guy thought he was like, fucking around, changing up the pills. I don't know, but he slapped the hell out of him. But that is because he found a letter to the guy, and it says literally, like, we're sorry to inform you that your son has died from influenza. So that's why the old guy's so drunk. Merry Christmas, everyone. It's a wonderful <laughs> life. <laughs> His son's dead. That's why he's trying yeah. to poison people. The, the, I think the message of this movie was like, is your life worse than this? Yeah. Then what are you complaining about? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's a wonderful life, motherfucker. It's a wonderful you life. could be this guy. <laughs> but uh, this is, but it's also it's something you got to see. And again, the colorized version, I can't harp on it enough, man. There's like the cash register is like gold, and there's an old Coca Cola lamp hanging. It's really cool looking. Yeah, you know? I mean, it's, you only know it's gold recently. Yeah, exactly, know it was gold exactly, exactly. <laughs> I didn't know it was gold, and now I do. Now it's cool as hell. <laughs> and you get to see this kid being like a soda jerk. And this was, that was a very, this was also a very big deal at the time. Pharmacies back in those days, this was the whole thing. They had the ice cream and the soda mm-hmm. bar and stuff. And sometimes, yeah. I mean, I'm sure well, this some was of them... before prescriptions, right? You could just go and ask for a yeah, bottle of Perks yeah, and they would just hand it over. Yeah, right? and you would also <laughs> Have yeah. some codeine syrup, please. <laughs> yeah, some codeine. Can I have, Do you have any codeine morphine on the counter? <laughs> Do you have any codeine? I need to give it to cream? my two-year-old. He's crying too much. I know somebody yeah. literally a bunch of people walk into those places and are like, you know, I need some morphine to deal with my alcohol addiction. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> give me a beer from the fridge while you're at it. I'm sure some of these places sell beer. I mean, they have to have <laughs> everything everywhere sold out. There's clearly no places. laws. <laughs> so no, during prohibition in the. 20s and 30s. That's right. The only place you could get a drink was at like a doctor's office or a pharmacy. So these pharmacies right. turned into like bars. And they, had, <laughs> they had a bar stool and you could sit there on tap and get your dose of alcohol that was prescribed. That's hilarious. To you. Well, and one of the most famous one, of course, was Schwab's. Schwab's Pharmacy on Sunset Boulevard. Oh, that was the place where literally you could go and you would be eating like ice cream and drinking a Coke and Clark Gable would walk in and shit. Like, you know, like it was like this weird pharmacy soda jerk place where movie stars all hung out. A lot of movie stars back in the day were discovered at Schwab's. They were like 15 years old eating uh, ice cream and some creepy producer was like, I work at MGM. You know, like people were becoming, just getting put into the system, you know, from Schwab's. <laughs> Schwab's was like Pizzagate. But uh, so anyway, so George is bartender for these kids and um, they're all talking about, you know, who they love. They all love George Bailey. But yeah, he has this whole thing. He's going to grow up. He's going to make it big. Uh, he's going to see the world and he is going to have a harem and multiple wives. Those are his <laughs> dreams. You know, he's establishing that he has these dreams and uh, he gets the shit slapped out of him. Just unadulterated violence towards children. <laughs> and um, <laughs> but honestly, I'm going to abridge the rest of this. The movie's so long. I'm just mm-hmm. going to kind of give you and like, also, a brief- I mean, I. 
I think it's 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 reached the point where it's so old that not everyone's seen it. I know. I want you to see this because mm-hmm. I re- yeah, I really want you will see this. It plays uh, mm-hmm. on. I want to say it's. Uh, I'll get to it at the bottom. It's either CBS or NBC, mm-hmm. but it plays one of their yeah. every year, at least twice yeah. a year. Because it was probably like a Home Alone at one point, and there was probably a period of time where everyone has seen this movie. Yeah, but I think it's left that sphere now where it's old enough that it's like a lot of people probably haven't actually seen the original. They've seen a lot of stuff inspired by True, it, but yeah. like not seen the original. Colorized version on Amazon Prime, really good. Or I think it's probably like two, three bucks to rent, you know. But uh, yeah, I'm going to abridge it here. Usually I'd give you the first few minutes. I think I did, though. Yeah, I mean, I kind of set it up mm-hmm. here. But uh, here, a rundown of what it's about is George Bailey has spent his entire life giving of, giving of himself to the people of Bedford Falls. He always longed to travel, but never had the opportunity. And, and then there's this guy, Mr. Potter, played by Lionel Barrymore. Amazing. Mr. Potter. Mr. Potter. <laughs> and he's like this really fucking super evil banker who like runs mm. Bedford Falls basically. He's just and fucking like loaning people into yes, like debt for life. Yes. Like designed to keep people in debt for life. Yeah, biggest loan shark. Mm. Just a two-bit loan shark, you know. <laughs> and uh, But on Christmas Eve, George's Uncle Billy... I don't know if you remember this part, but he has $8,000 that he's bringing back to George Bailey Mm -hmm. for the company. It's an $8,000 loan Mm -hmm. from Mr. Potter. And he fucking like drops it somehow. I think he's like drunk. I can't remember, but he he loses 8,000 bucks. And when you run that through the old inflation calculator, yep. that is $130,000. Holy shit. <laughs> Bro. 130 grand. That he just oopsied it. It oopsied into the street. <laughs> like somebody had a really good day. Bro. Somebody yeah, came up. Yeah, I was up. like, he oopsied that into a Vegas casino is what he did. <laughs> Bro, that, that goes into a briefcase that is handcuffed to your wrist. Like. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, I think Mr. Potter even somehow got it back. I think yeah, he had yeah, like he a did. guy. Yeah. 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 He like he had like like I said I was writing while I was watching. Yeah, it, he know? I think he had someone do one of those cartoony stick your leg out in the street and he yeah. tripped and then he grabbed the money and gave it back to Mr. Potter. Oh, here it is. Yeah, Potter finds the misplaced money and hides it from Billy. When the bank examiner discovers the shortage later that night, George realizes that he will be held responsible and sent to jail, and the company will collapse, finally allowing Potter to take over the whole town. That's this Christmas movie that we're talking about. Uh, thinking of his wife, their young children, and others he loves, oh, and others he loves, will be better off with him dead. Because at one point, Mr. Potter tells him that. You're you're worth more dead. Because he had, yeah. like, a life insurance policy. Right. Yeah, 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 like, <laughs> so, so he tells him that, and he's like, maybe you're right. Yeah. And he contemplates suicide, but the prayers of his loved ones result in a gentle angel named Clarence coming to Earth to help George... And that's the part where he shows yeah. George what life would have been yeah. like if he were oh, never born. And this is such a fun wrinkle, and I don't really think it's a spoiler. Um, mm. I mean, maybe some people think about it, but I, I, like, if you're still not sold, Clarence is also a dope character because yeah. he's an angel who hasn't gotten his wings 200 yet. 200 right? years he's been waiting. Yeah, for his yeah. wings, right? And they've yeah. just been fucking around with yeah, him. Yeah, because he's, he's, a, he's a clown angel. He's a yeah. clown man. He's, he's, not ch- he's the Charlie Brown of angels. Yeah, he's not good at his job. And so he yeah. also has a, stay, a horse in this race. Yes, he does. <laughs> they literally say in the beginning, they're like, well, I guess we'll send down Clarence. And he's like, Clarence, he's a fucking dumbass. <laughs> yeah, all like, this man's yeah. definitely going to stay there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then they call him into the, like the angel room, and he's like, "So, like, if I do this, are you gonna finally give me my wings, or you know, you're gonna keep keep shitting all over me over here?" You know, <laughs> like, like both. <laughs> you will get your wings. You will still be shit on. <laughs> 
You've had 200 years. You still get a late charge for this. <laughs> Dev, is this a big one that you watch during Christmas? Do you like this one? No, it's depressing as shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got you. Well, I yeah. mean, it ends jolly. Yeah. S- spoilers, but I yeah. mean, it wouldn't really be a Christmas movie if it didn't end jolly. It's so a, if things a... work out. <laughs> Although, I mean... <clears throat> Okay, if I want to witness a catastrophe that end well at the end, I go to Christmas with my family every year. <laughs> well, so, I, okay, slight spoilers. If you don't want spoilers for It's Wonderful Life, tune out for the next, I don't know, three minutes. Um, actually, the ending is kind of depressing because yeah. it just ends with him accepting his doll That's life. That's the thing. That's That was a, that was a big theme mm-hmm. back in these movies, too, was like, just because you didn't, you know, see the world and mm. do all, yeah, just because none of your dreams came true doesn't mean that your life's not good. Right. It's like, I yeah. don't really. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's, it is a harsh reality that yeah. it's like, if it helps some people accept that, because there's a lot of people that are him who like, sorry, yeah. bro, like you're not achieving your dreams. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't want to discourage but anyone from the pursuing hard, their dreams. The but hard like, thing yeah. with George Bailey too is that he works so fucking hard at yeah. it. Yeah. Like he, he worked his entire life yeah. from the time of being a kid to like this business. This is okay. This is why this is leftist propaganda because that is the that is that is the entire pitch of socialism is you're going to slave away under corporate like uh, like uh, slavery right. for your entire life. You're never going to accomplish your dreams because of people like fucking Mr. Potter. Unionize. This is Kanye <laughs> shit for sure. <laughs> All right, this is socialist propaganda. I'm on board. Okay, gotcha. I get right. the message. Guys. All right, cool. <laughs> Jets over here, Stalin. Yeah. I love Fidel. this dynamic. Yeah. I love this dynamic. I'm gonna let this just like go on its this own. This is the new show. <laughs> so yeah. I w- it's go. whatever. I'll rebuttal later. <laughs> now I'm gonna tell you about the production of this movie. It had some very interesting stories actually behind the scenes of this whole thing. Cool. Um, so, like I said, I'll tell you a little bit more here. I'll get more into it. In 1943, author Philip Van Doren Stern wrote a short story called The Greatest Gift. He was um, he was an author, but mainly what he did was like Civil War biographies. He would do like history books, basically, this guy. And he wrote this booklet, The Greatest Gift, and it was, I mean, the plot was a lot like it, you know, but it was uh, this thing that he just, he self-published 200 copies of it for his friends and family as like a Christmas card, basically. <laughs> he like he like sent them a little book as like a Christmas gift to okay. 200 of his closest people, you okay, know? Okay, cool. That's how this thing all starts. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And he was, like I said, he was pretty big time, but I mean, he was big if you were really into Civil War history, you know? Mm-hmm. But um, it's somehow, I think his agent or somebody probably gave it to RKO, you know, or Mm. maybe he even sent it to someone who worked at RKO, and that's how I got there. It somehow found its way to RKO Radio Pictures. And, And, you know, at the time, just in case it's a little muddled here, RKO had also become a movie studio as well. Right, yeah, In Culver City. They were also filming a lot of movies. Yeah. Okay, They were like a... I mean, radio at the time was making as much money as like a small movie studio. I mean, a radio radio studios at the time were 
huge that money. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, uh, if you're in your car yeah. or you're at home, yeah. like it's, They would you sit know, around the radio yeah. and listen to, you know... TVs uh, are still expensive. Yeah, Smokey mm-hmm. and the Bandit. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> sit around the radio, listen to the Lone Ranger and stuff, you know. <laughs> Which I love Johnny Depp, but... Let's get Oof. real. He probably shouldn't have played Tonto. Yeah, I don't think he should have at all. I didn't think that was a really bad idea. And that wasn't even that but long ago. No. Army Hammer <laughs> should like not have played the Lone Ranger either. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this booklet found its way to RKO and they read it. It was kind of the same story. A man's about to jump off a bridge and kill himself. Merry Christmas. And an angel appears and shows him what life would be without him. Okay, so it's just the last third. It's like the last third. Okay. That was like the whole, yeah, yeah that was the booklet. And mainly, the, in the booklet, it was mainly the angel shows him around at what all would have happened if he had never been born or if he killed himself. And the main thing that really stuck with him was his wife got remarried. He's like, well, I can't have that happen. Like, that's, fuck that. That shit. What? I'm off dead and you're banging some other dude? Like, no fucking thank you. Never mind. <laughs> whatever any, gets him there. Whatever See, gets him there, look, man. Look at how thinking with his dick saved his life. <laughs> <laughs> thinking oh, with the man. wrong head. Yeah, well, that's interesting because that is the part of the movie that everyone still like parodies or references yeah. or like you yeah. or like repurposes or whatever. I think it is the I think it's the most interesting part of the movie. It and is. I guess the film was like, well, let's give context to why that right. is so important. Because if he he had yeah. never been born. His brother's dead. His mm-hmm. brother just drowned in that lake that day. He didn't save him. Um, and then a bunch of people get poisoned. And then his World War II thing, he saved like a whole truckload of dudes or something. And they yeah. would have all been dead. Yeah. You know. And yeah. then Amazon would have owned the town. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, yeah. Amazon would own the town and there wouldn't even be a town anymore. It would just be a giant Amazon fulfillment center. <laughs> <laughs> but so it gets around to RKO, and uh, by the way, we will do. I'll do an episode on RKO. Okay, uh, cool. Like it's they don't exist anymore, right? No, no. Cool. But they're they've of course been like just changed and rebranded and bought mm. and all that stuff. Yeah. But um. But that's an interesting transition to radio station for to, sure. To film studio. Yeah. We'll and do uh, it. they they even have some Oscar wins under their belt. I remember like when I was looking forward at the oh, Oscar yeah. movies, I saw I would see RKO as the studio and I'd be yeah. like, what the fuck is that? Yeah, they were big. Oh, they were making huge yeah. films. They bought the greatest gift for ten grand, just like. Like a little mm-hmm. booklet, yeah. and when you put that through the old inflation calculator, <laughs> that comes out to one hundred and sixty thousand dollars. Wow! For this guy, this Civil War that's, author's booklet—that's a good price for yeah. a little booklet you wrote as a Christmas as a joke. Christmas card, yeah, as a present for. He made one hundred and sixty <laughs> grand off of a Christmas card. That's insane. Yeah. That's that's a good return on. That's a good return on probably an afternoons of work, Christmas money, baby. <laughs> Christmas yeah, probably money. an afternoon of, in front of some scotch for <laughs> <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, RKO, they signed on originally. They were going to make this thing a movie out of it with Cary Grant. Um, they had Cary Grant really loved it. So basically, it was like they got their best writers, give me a script based on this thing, and it's going to be this Cary Grant movie. But it went through a lot of fucking writing. No one could quite write something that like made sense you know uplifted them during yeah, the holidays exactly exactly everyone's like i think that was the issue it was like how do i make this a christmas movie you know like how it's suicide and banking and like and then there's like uh world war ii that just happened like yeah. what are we doing what here is, uh, like it is it is a complicated puzzle to fit together yeah yeah um, a, a huge writers wrote dalton trumbo wrote on this thing like one of the biggest writers 
writers in history, one of the biggest screenplay writers. And, and I mean, it's interesting because the movie doesn't really have anything to do specifically with Christmas. Yeah. It just happens during Christmas, which is a lot of Christmas movies. That's actually. very true. Like Home Alone's not really about Christmas. Right. It just happens during Christmas. Right. Right. Die Hard, which everyone says is a Christmas movie, just happens it's during like Christmas. A Christmas background. You know, like there's very few. I guess there's very few Christmas classics that are like specifically this story can only happen during Christmas. That's true. Yeah. So Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. What are you talking about? <laughs> I, I don't think so. It's a but, Bruce Willis you know, movie. People will argue. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I just thought about this. Dalton Trumbo helped write this script, and he was one he was one of them that got sent to prison for being a communist. Socialist propaganda, <laughs> I'm telling you. He's one of my favorite writers, man. It, Watch Trumbo, so everyone. We, John Wayne was sending people to prison. This movie when we're done with it? Is that the theme now? So we don't get contaminated? I can't get the disease of communism infecting me. I cannot wait to do... I'm gonna put on my fucking mask, guys! I cannot wait to do the episode about the Red Scare blacklist and all that stuff. That'll be be for the Patreon. This is gonna be a debate episode between me and them. That'll be for the Patreon. Like the communist episode. (laughs) The communist debate. So... So they were having a hard time with this material, and while going through the process, Cary Grant signed on to do another film. He did this film, and a lot of people know this. You all know me, you know. Uh, it was called The Bishop's Wife. Have you ever heard of this? No. They remade this in the 90s with Denzel and Whitney Houston, actually. What? Yeah, and this was originally a Cary Grant film, and it's about an angel that comes down to a bishop and is like a same sort of deal. He's, the Denzel one was the preacher's wife. Yeah, the preacher's wife. Yeah, yeah. it was. A, yeah, yes. And he comes down to help like a bishop or a preacher go through some really hard times at the church. And while he's down on earth, he fucks the guy's it's wife. Doing business. <laughs> what? I'm not even shitting you. The angel fucks the bishop's wife. That's why it's called the bishop's wife. He that, like. <laughs> no, it could have only been Denzel that could play that. Does it talk exactly. So Does it smooth. still take place during Christmas? You're right. It's, no, I don't think it's around Christmas, actually. Okay. I don't think that it's one's a winter. Christmas movie. It's damn winter for sure. I remember the No, it is Christmas. It is a Christmas yeah. film. What a yes. what a jolly tale for yeah, the Christmas. The cut Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cucked by an angel. <laughs> 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 That's the title of this episode. Cucked by an angel. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you got a picture. Uh, also, that Jimmy Stewart picture in your hallway is Cary Grant. That's okay. Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn, and Jimmy Stewart from the Philadelphia story. Which we'll, Maybe we'll do that one day, since you have a picture of it in your building. Sure, why, but, uh, <laughs> if we ever run out of episode ideas, we can just walk down the we'll halls down the and hall. take notes. You have at least 10 film history episodes <laughs> in your building, no doubt about it. But, uh, so... Basically, the writing thing, uh, this thing, it just gets shelved. Like the greatest gift, it just gets shelved for a while. With uh, they had three different scripts written for it, so it's literally on a shelf at RKO with three scripts that they don't even know which one is going to go when it goes. Mm-hmm. And uh, Frank Capra heard about it, so Frank Capra is a two-part episode here. Okay, um, but I will tell you a little bit about him. Uh, he wanted this to be his next big thing after the war. He and a bunch of other directors at the time, big directors, went to World War II and captured a bunch of footage in World War II. Whoa. Uh, that was the Steven Spielberg made a documentary yeah, about, right? Called yes. The Ten or something? Five the came, came back. back. The Five yeah. came back. Oh. Yeah, it's really good. Five yeah. came back as a two th- two-parter thing on Netflix where they show the actual documentaries that they made and a documentary about them making it. It's Whoa, really interesting. interesting. Uh, wait, is this different than the one that... Um, 
Uh, who made the Lord of the Rings movies? Um, That's different. Okay. They Will Not Grow Old yeah. is uh, Peter Jackson. That was, yeah, I showed you that one, the colorized mm-hmm. version yeah. of World War One footage. Yeah, but this one is about, it was John Ford, William Wyler, John Huston, Frank Capra, and George Stevens, like five of the biggest directors in the world at mm-hmm. the time. Uh, they captured over 100 hours of footage of World War II, and it's like, I'm not talking about, like, at a base, like, dudes doing push-ups. These were battles, yeah, like, front lines footage. Like, well, how- you've, got, you've got Frank Capra, a multi-millionaire, huge studio director on the front lines filming people shooting at each other. Those are big-ass cameras. Yeah, like you just strap a GoPro they to had, your suit. They had some kind of smaller ones at the at this time. Um, yeah, the were, one that got the Pearl Harbor footage is a handheld. Yeah, it was a handheld. Oh, wow. Yeah, Holy he was shit. on a ship watching wow. planes come. Oh, man, it's well, nuts, there was dude. a couple there. I'm talking, there was one from the airfield. Yeah. It's actually when they bombed the airfield, some guy who was in the Air Force had one. There was a couple on ships, like... Yeah. You know, I think the technology for the military, they would use those little handhelds for like record keeping and training shit. They were doing, a, yeah. They were probably cheap and inexpensive and like more common than like a okay. big studio yeah. camera. I don't think they were like setting on a on a chair yelling action. Yeah. <laughs> like, That's my picture. No. He's, like, he's like, he yells cut and the German soldier's like, what? What's going on? I don't know. It's, it's Frank Capra <laughs> with like three PA dudes. You know, he's got like a... a, a, a <laughs> Puller and a lens puller and all this, wow. but I mean, it's like him and three dudes just sitting there, like trying not to die, That's filming some shit guys, on a handheld. Guys, yeah. you were supposed to kill the other side, not miss. All right, everybody, back to one. Back to we're one. gonna do it again from one. the top. Get get off the ground. Why are you bleeding on my set? More extras. Bring in more extras. Yeah, can you stand up a little bit more? You're not in frame. The yet. guy's dead. Yeah. Like, now that I think about it, a film fucking set is pretty much a battlefield yeah <laughs> man yeah absolutely just yelling you. loud shit from yeah this man just die on my set <laughs> but frank crapra he was he had directed in the 30s he was uh he was the director of happen one night you can't take it with you and he directed mr smith goes to washington with jimmy stewart mm. in the 30s when jimmy stewart was also have of you guys course, the prequel to mr and mrs smith <laughs> yeah of course yeah. yeah this was the brad pitt vehicle of the 40s yeah. and 30s you know <laughs> Did you see, have you seen Mr. Smith Goes to Washington? No. Okay. I was not aware that existed until five seconds ago. Highly recommend it. And okay. it's, it, this is on topic because we're talking about Jimmy Stewart. This was mm. one of his movies that he just absolutely fucking murdered this role. Uh, it's about like this small town, like, you know, rednecky guy. He's like a Boy Scout leader, basically. And he gets a seat in the Senate. And so it's like, it's Mr. Smith goes to Washington, you know? Oh, cool. And he kind of finds out how, like, fucked up our country is. Mm -hmm. Like, passing a bill has to, you know, they tell him, like, basically it's going to be years before you do anything at all, you know, type of stuff. But anyway. What year was this? This was in the 30s. Washington's always been trash. Yeah. Oh, cool. Good to know. 39. Good to know these aren't new problems. No, no, no. (laughs) These are old problems. I'll tell you about a really old problem, though. So Old problems. No new solutions. I'll tell you about a really old problem. So Shelby and I are watching Mr. Smith Goes to Washington one day. And there's a part where they're having like a big Senate hearing. And we noticed, so there are these little boys running around the courtroom as little page boys bringing papers and stuff to senators they're mm-hmm. like bringing documents running coffee doing shit these kids are like 10 years old you know and i was like that's so weird do we have kids in the 
Senate now? Like, are is this still going? Yeah, but they're not in the Senate. They're in a uh, weird Pizza Hut part. That's the, in the so. <laughs> this is the, the dude. The the funniest and not funny part about this is this is no PizzaGate shit. This is very well documented. That this was a thing we had to do away with. There used to be a page boy program in the White House, and these kids were selected from all over the country to come be a page boy, and they were mm. probably like bright, intelligent kids. Mm. They would get put in a house for the page boy kids near the White House. They were not allowed to write letters to their family. They were completely cut off from like the outside world, and we had to shut it down because guess fucking what? All these kids were being molested. Yeah, oh, like, yeah definitely. Crazy. Yeah, like of these course, senators yeah. were just. It was yeah. a buffet mm-hmm. for these fucking senators, dude. <laughs> that does not surprise me in the slightest. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. that sounds like what would happen in that scenario. Yeah. Like there's 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 multiple accounts of like uh, senators like um, like getting caught in like basically like a, uh, to catch a predator situations like trying to solicit like underage prostitution like it's yeah. or underage sex trafficking oh, it, yeah. it wouldn't be prostitution it'd be sex trafficking but yeah like this is I mean it is, it is a very real thing like yeah. this it's it, pedophilia yeah, is a massive problem in Washington people, most <clears throat> for every massive problem everywhere but most most people are in positions of power are sociopaths anyway. yeah absolutely uh-huh. absolutely yeah You're it's right. it's and a, I think what a great theme for the episode you know what would it be how you know a dark Christmas episode what would it be without some child it's getting, pedophilia the Christmas ones have been the darkest ones we've done and we talked about like people getting shot at and slapped around you know but uh basically <laughs> talked about saw and jigsaw you know. dude a dark Christmas uh, so Frank's back from filming the war and he wants to make something happy and upbeat like it's a wonderful life you know and uh rko was happy to sell it to him he paid they they sold it to him for the 10 grand that they paid for it basically he he claims that he paid 50 grand so who knows which story is true here if it's true though if he paid 50 grand of his own money that's the equivalent to eight hundred thousand dollars holy shit that's nearly a million dollars for the rights to the script yes for the rights to the script which it had three scripts at the time so this is the fun story about the writing of this movie this became a nightmare nightmare so (laughs) so capra buys it he salvaged a few scenes from Odette's earlier screenplay. This writer, Odette, had basically written, like, you know, one of the three, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. And so he's, he got a few scenes from a few of the screenplays. He kind of stitched them together Frankenstein, Frankenstein style. And he worked with writers Francis Goodrich and Albert Hackett. Joe Swirling, Michael Wilson, and Dorothy Parker was brought in to polish the scripts on many drafts of the screenplay. And it was a bad collaboration. It was not a harmonious collaboration. Uh, Uh, Just different types of writers, different ideas where to take it? Goodrich called Capra that horrid man. Oh, my God. (laughs) And recalled he couldn't wait to just get to writing it by himself. Her husband, Albert Hackett, said, we told him that what we were going to do, and he said, that sounds fine. We were trying to move the story along and work it out, and then somebody told us that Capra and Joe Swirling were working on it together without us, and that sort of took the guts out of, out of doing it. And uh, so Joe Swirling was a very close friend of ours, and then we heard he was 
doing this, we felt rather bad about it. We were getting near the end, and word came that Capper wanted to know how soon we'd be finished, so my wife said, we're finished right now. We quickly wrote out the last scene, and we never saw him again after that. He's a very arrogant son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so Capper was just ready to get his hands on it, you know. Mm -hmm. Sounds like he was not, uh, he did not want to work with people, for sure. Why do you you bring him in in the first place? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. These guys were weird, you know. They still are. They still are. Uh, <laughs> and then later, a dispute ensued over the writing credits. Capra said the mm. screenwriters' arbitration committee decided that Hackett and Goodrich and I should get the credit for the writing. Joe Swirling hasn't talked to me since. That was five years ago. The final screenplay, renamed by Capra, It's a Wonderful Life, was credited to Goodrich, Hackett, and Capra with additional scenes by Joe Swirling. So everybody just kind of got fucked here. Mm. You know, it was a big writing mess. Yeah, well, I mean, this happens a lot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just it to varying degrees of uh, understandability. But, like, there will be a, a writing disagreement. Yeah. The writers will leave. The script will get changed greatly. Right. And then once it's, like, picked up, the writers who got who left the project now want a part of the project. Yeah. And that's just too many writers, too. Yeah. I, I really think two or three writers tops. Yeah. Like, don't get a... Uh, yeah. Ten writers is just going to be a problem, which a lot of people do, though. That's how a lot of shit gets written. I mean, that's how you... I mean, that's called design by committee, and that's how we get, you know, yeah. cookie cutter. Like, Because then it's like, the only way to make a room of ten writers happy is to just go with the lowest common denominator ideas, right. which makes for, like, very boring and safe art you know right so um but where did trumbo come in on this trumbo was in the original when they were trying to make it into a script in the first place and he was one of the writers who created the three scripts that got shelved for a while okay yeah yeah and then later on capra hears about it he's back from the war looking for stuff and he hears about that yeah he probably did read the book he probably read Mm -hmm. the greatest gift because he was i mean clearly a a war buff right he went so he clearly liked war shit Mm -hmm. um and so he bought it that he bought it i don't know if it works Mm -hmm. like that just because you go to war you clearly like war. (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. i don't know well yeah but he he went to war to document it it's not like he went there for sure yeah yeah. So there is no going to war just to document. You right. Go to war, you like go to war. You're gonna get fucked there up. There's no like caveat yeah. in between. Even the medics are picking up a gun sometimes. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. but it, it does it does insinuate interest. You know, right. like it's he could have documented a million things and yeah. he chose to do the one that was the most dangerous as possible. <laughs> so you know, clearly yeah. there was some desire to like go there. You I know? think it's like a duty to serve the country. I don't know. We're all speculating right yeah, here. Yeah. For know, sure. That's true. Yeah. I, I mean, do. it could have been both. He could have been like, "This is the way I can contribute." Like, right. I'm. I yeah, want. I feel like that's yeah. a good. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's most likely. Like, I don't. My talents. Use my talents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's like I. You don't want to give me a gun. I'm not going to hit anything. Yeah, but a camera. I don't miss with that. They did a big service. I mean, mm-hmm. they definitely they I mean, contributed to the documentation of history. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. for sure. And and the propaganda and like the the mood and tone of the country because they were mm-hmm. watching their war films back on the states. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, while they're deployed and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, it was cr- it was especially important to push public sentiment in World War. To towards you know uh, to rally the nation because there was a mm-hmm. large fascist movement in the United States before we entered World War II. Yeah. Hitler thought that he could have gotten like America to join his side of the war yeah. had things worked out slightly differently. And so once we're going in, you'd have a large portion of the country that's like, I don't know. Yeah. The Hitler guy is saying some there was, s- some offbeat stuff, yeah, but it yeah. might be interesting. There and some so, Hitler like, really yeah. pushing the America. narrative is important. Yeah. 
let's not forget good old Prescott Bush, granddaddy of good old George W. Bush, head of the CIA before World War II. He uh, owned banks in New York and his bank got shut down and he got fined for the trading of with the Enemy Act. Wow. Right, because they were barred from doing business with Germany, but they mm. were doing business with the Nazis and their shit got shut down. So yeah. like, you know, that was a Bush family. Mm -hmm. And I'm probably going to get a bullet is going to come through this door <laughs> right now and just take me out. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but whipping up a, a common desire to, to fight the Nazis was extra important. So. Yeah, for sure. Oh, no. There was a lot of little Nazi youth running through the streets of America. <laughs> yeah, it was happening big time. Uh, there's, a, there's a really great documentary called I Think Night of the Garden mm -hmm. that talks about the massive Nazi rally at Madison Square Garden. Jesus. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating Ooh. watch. Man. This is a little black spot on history. Besides all the bullshit and everything that was going wrong, this is actually still Capra's favorite film he ever made. He said, like, even mm. even throughout the his whole life, he said this was his favorite one. Cool. And um, so, yeah, he gets this thing from RKO. He only wanted Jimmy Stewart as George Bailey. That was like, he wanted Jimmy Stewart. He did not want Cary Grant, anybody else. And he said Jimmy had that thing about him. He had worked with him on Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and he was like this honest do-gooder, but with like darkness, you know? And I mean, Jimmy Stewart, he, he had killed people. <laughs> In World War II, he bombed people. He, sure. he killed some Nazis, you know? He mm -hmm. was not fucking around. Jimmy was actually, he was pretty nervous to take such a big role because he had been away from the camera, you know, mm. killing Germans for a few <laughs> years now. Killing and he wasn't Nazis. sure, <laughs> killing Nazis and uh, collecting Nazi scalps. And he wasn't <laughs> sure what his like acting technique was going to be like anymore. You know, he's like, am I just going to like... He went method. <laughs> he went method. Yeah, yeah they should have just put him in a bunch of World War II movies immediately afterwards. <laughs> you know, like he's got that down pat. Is there anything that can trigger the PTSD? <laughs> he's like... I've That's been, how he works the third. <laughs> I've been bombing towns for the past four years from an airplane, and now you want me to like do this like banker who like needs to kiss the girl and stuff, you know? <laughs> that was a big part of the movie. He had a really he kept pushing the scene where he kisses Donna Reed mm -hmm. because he says like I have not kissed anyone on camera in five years. I know I'm gonna look shitty. I'm gonna be rusty doing it. And how am I gonna like make this like a sexy thing? You know? I think his mind. Was was so I mean he was a colonel his yeah. mind at this point had been so regimented probably I'm sure yeah. he had lost a lot of his like art you know mm. his like spark for acting mm. you know um, but anyway notice how he said on camera <laughs> yeah yeah no he was he was kissing plenty yeah. off plenty off he had plenty of <laughs> British girls when he was stationed at the RAF airbase I mean I kinda I guess I kinda get it he's an Oscar award winning actor he doesn't want his first movie back to be like the end of his career either you know what I mean right. like getting back into that's a big you know that's it's, it's a big Bro, step how could it yeah, the public is just gonna go watch him because he's a decorated war hero, that's right? That's, but like, he then, like but that's he, also part of the value that he brings to the project. I'm sure but he doesn't want people to say totally. like, "Oh, Jimmy, he's he lost it." You know, he's not yeah. a, he, he's not what he used to be. That I don't know what happened be. in that war. He must have hit his head because this, <laughs> this man can't act no more. Yeah, yeah, you know, like you know, he doesn't want that to be his return. Anyone who cinema. Said, you know who says that, Drake? Communist. Communist. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so anyway, they get the script. The script's singing now. He gets uh, Jimmy Stewart attached, and he uh, he gets Lionel Barrymore as his like Scrooge for this movie, uh, Mr. Pata. And you know all the death and suicide he needed for his Christmas movie. He's ready to go. <laughs> And um, we, like I said, we will do, we're going to do an episode on the Barry Moores, mm-hmm. on all of them. I think uh, we'll, it'll probably be like a 10-part dissertation <laughs> on the Barry Moores, but we'll do it. Uh, just an ancient acting family. So with Capra, Jimmy Stewart, Lionel Barrymore, Donna Reed, and a roster of heavy hitters, some Oscar winners, they bring this thing to RKO, um, and RKO teams up with Liberty Pictures, mm-hmm. a production company that we were they were working with on films to get to making it. And RKO loved it. They didn't have any notes except for, <laughs> okay, they did have a few notes. There were some really bad words in the script that had to be taken out. There were some uh, words that they didn't think fit this Christmas suicide movie. Um, really? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, there was words too dark for this movie? There were words that were too dark for this movie. Like, they had to cut a part of the script that said, nuts to you. A guy was like, nuts to you. That's too dirty. Um, at one point, they mentioned impotence. And they had to cut that. You know, we don't talk about dicks getting hard around here. We're not a fucking blue chew commercial, all right? <laughs> At one point, they cut the word dang. That was too bad. Dang, it's too close to fuck, you know? Uh, <laughs> and jerk. You couldn't say jerk. Really? Yeah, no what? calling someone a jerk. This guy is like trying to steal. So what did those soda jerks do? Yeah, exactly. They're just soda boys. <laughs> yeah, soda lads. Soda lads. <laughs> it's just... they, they busted up that house in Washington and they were like, we can't call them jerks anymore. <laughs> and this is, this is crazy because like there's no ratings board yet, right? No, the code was in place. The code, the code... but there was no like, there was. There were movies rated the code. The code. Were, were movies rated um, uh, PG or R yet? It wasn't really a rating system so much as just like you had to adhere to the code to be okay. made. Okay, yeah. right. and the, the so code said that you can't say jerk. So much as rules. Yeah, there so much as rules. It's more of guidelines. Well, but here's the <laughs> fucked up part about it too. It was they had some real roundabout issues here. You can't say jerk. You can't do this. You can't dang impotent. You can't say those things. Even lousy. Just like has lice. You can't say the word lousy. But uh, this movie was allowed to, for one, the whole suicide thing, way mm-hmm. against code. They didn't want it in there, but Frank Capper basically said, like, without that part, there is, there is no, no movie. movie yeah. You know, that's what the whole fucking thing is yeah. about. So they bent on that. But also, it was very strict in the code, and we've talked about it on this very show a lot of times since Cagney that criminals were not allowed to win in a movie. But in this movie, uh, Mr. Potter, he doesn't, he kind of does win in a big way, but also there are no repercussions for mm-hmm. Mr. Potter. And Frank Capra said that was another part of the important message mm-hmm. is that sometimes the fucking bad guy does win, yeah. you know, and it sucks, mm-hmm. you know. The current organization of the economy, Jeff Bezos can't be beaten. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess maybe they got around it by like, he was, he was clearly evil, mm-hmm. you know. It, I think the message here is like, thank God Hitler didn't win, guys. Yeah. Aren't you? Aren't you happy the bad guy didn't win? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Maybe that was it. Maybe that's what they were trying to get at. But uh but yeah, Capra, he he cut out those bad, bad words, no more jerk, you know, can't say that. And they were greenlit. 
And it was uh, they RKO and uh, Liberty Films put in three point one eight million dollar budget, and that's the equivalent of about a fifty one million dollar movie now. Okay, and that makes sense for Capra. Like, yeah. Cap, like I said, you know, this was these were big, heavy hitting people yeah. involved. And I mean, honestly, like I think the average movie, average uh, studio movie, costs at least a hundred k nowadays. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, Recently, it's gotten to where you can hardly even make a damn movie with a bunch of good people less than like 60, 70 million. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. But, uh, and that's like, <laughs> that would be like a, a drama, you yeah. know, for sure. Forget mm. about it if it's an action movie. It's 100 million. It was greenlit to be shot at RKO Radio Pictures Studios in Culver City, California. And the 89 anchor. 89-acre RKO movie ranch in Encino, where Bedford Falls was built. And uh, Bedford Falls was actually, they used some sets from some old movies, too. They used some sets from, uh, it was a movie called Kimaron, this Oscar-winning 1931 epic. But uh, anyway, it covered (laughs) four acres, and the town consisted of a main street stretching three city blocks, 75 stores and buildings, a residential neighborhood, and Capra even added a tree-lined center parkway that you see in the movie. Uh, they built a working bank set, like the plumbing and stuff actually worked in that. Whoa. And I think they used that as like a production office as yeah. well, probably behind the scenes, you know. Um, they planted 20 full-grown oak trees for this movie. And there was a big deal. For some reason, this was a big deal to them, but he kind of let like stray like pigeons and cats and dogs and stuff just to roam the streets. Mm-hmm. There were some there's some footage of like a stray dog that runs to the scene. And they, he was just up there. He just oh. lived up there at the ranch. You know? <laughs> what the dog doing? What the dog doing? <laughs> and he, he wanted to give this town like a lived-in feel, mm-hmm. you know. And I definitely think he captured it, man. Bedford Falls, I would have thought watching it. A while back, that it was just a real place, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's cool because a lot of times that stuff is faked. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's not you're not actually shooting in a real town. It's right. like you know a bunch of uh, sets that like you sh- the way you cut together, it looks like you're walking seamlessly between. But yeah. you know, really, those are all different lots. Yeah, like this is a real town. That gives a little bit of authenticity to it. I like that. I like that too. Or on uh, anger management on FX back mm-hmm. when we were doing that show. <clears throat> they had a working fridge and a cool. working sink and stuff in the kitchen and this in the kitchen oh, set, fun. you know. Very fun. I don't know why it just made it so much more like you felt yeah. like you were actually there, you know. Yeah. yeah. Nothing's fake. As much as I love um uh the set design and stuff, I, I always prefer when stuff's shot on location. Yeah. But I'll tell you about uh the snow that won them a technical Oscar. Um they Covered Bedford Falls with snow, as and you mm. see in the movie, it's a blizzard, like yeah. three feet of snow. Looking, was it real <laughs> snow? Yeah, no, it was not real snow. So usually, back in these days, what they would usually do is uh, paint cornflakes white and kind of crunch them up, and that was snow. Mm-hmm. But back in those days, it was loud. Those cornflakes falling were really loud, mm-hmm. and so you would usually just have to get ADR of the dialogue after the scene because mm-hmm. you're not even hardly picking up their dialogue for right. these loud-ass cornflakes. Uh, and so Capra did not want this. He didn't want loud snow. He wanted quiet, gentle snow. Yeah, we want to do ADR my entire movie? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, it falls slower. You yeah. know, It's a little bit more like mm-hmm. of a Christmas feel yeah, to yeah, it, yeah. definitely. But uh, they used... 3,000 tons of shaved ice, 
300 tons of gypsum. It's like this sheetrock material. Mm -hmm. 300 tons of plaster and 6,000 gallons of fomite soap and water. And it it was like this this snow mixture that they made. And it was... Tons yeah. and tons and tons of shit was used that's to cool. make the snow. Um, I mean, that's kind of why I don't know if it's the exact same materials, but I mean that's what they do at the Grove. Uh, they like it, it rain. It snows soap. Yeah, um, which yeah, I yeah. always thought was fun, and it looks it looks convincing. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I don't know how new of an invention this is, but like a lot of ski resorts manufacture their own snow. Right, I mean, it's not technically cold enough for it to freeze, but it's also not warm enough that if there is snow, it would melt fast enough for it to be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So they just manufacture their own well, snow. I don't know how new that technology they, is, though. I'm assuming they didn't have it in these days, but I don't think they had it in those days. But that's not that's actual water vapor, right? Yeah, and not right. like a chemical makeup with cornflakes, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> uh, but you know, I like I think uh, what is that snow that they made in the 40s brought to us by like Dupont? Like, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's just lead paint. Flakes. Oh yeah, it definitely gave you cancer. There's almost <laughs> no doubt about it. It was like sheetrock and plaster and shit yeah. was in there too. I'm sure there was that, some. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there was some like asbestos like shit that you were getting into, but uh. This and it's funny. So they were filming in L.A. during the dead middle of the summer, by the way, <laughs> and they had a record-breaking heat wave that summer. Oh my like, god! Temperatures over a hundred degrees. Oh wow! Yeah, and it was it was like a hundred degrees on set for like two days straight, and they had to shut down production. People yeah. were having like heat strokes yeah. and shit doing this Christmas movie <laughs> with like. You're looking at a snowy town, yeah. but you're fucking... Jimmy Stewart is sweating through yeah. a lot of the movie, if you yeah. look. there's And you can't help it. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's 100 yeah. degrees. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of this where he's, like, outside in the snow just sweating his ass <laughs> off. <laughs> it just looks like he's just, like, doing a bunch of blow yeah, or something. Yeah, he's coming down for shit ton of yeah. amphetamines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's not because that's what real men used to do they sweat in the snow warm. <laughs> he probably was popping some amphetamines in World War II we were giving them to our guys too but it wasn't just the Nazis we'll get the Nazi shit but we were doing a little bit of meth over here too yeah, he you came know? back and he was like wow this pharmacy's asking me no questions yeah. <laughs> I'm a pilot <laughs> But uh, one of the biggest scenes of this movie was this big pool scene in the school gym. You know what I'm talking about? So there's a high school dance, full swing. Everyone's doing the Charleston, of course. They're having a Charleston contest, actually. Mm -hmm. And there's this scene where... uh, Jimmy Stewart kind of snubs. So this actor that he snubs, by the way, is Alfalfa from the original Little Rascals. That was he. This oh, like a little bit more grown up Alfalfa, funny. yeah. And uh, he like snubs this guy and he steals Donna Reed away from him or whatever. So the guy to get revenge, um, this guy tells him, you know, there's a pool underneath the gym floor, and. I have the key to it, and if you just turn the key on this thing, the whole gym floor turns into a pool. And he's like, ah, that's how I'll get my revenge, you know? <laughs> and so he turns the switch, and the fucking floor looks like the San Andreas fault line, yeah, like California opening. slipping off into the Pacific yeah. <laughs> and becoming our own republic, you know? And this floor, this gym floor starts opening up, and there's a pool underneath, and Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed fall into the pool. And a bunch of people were pissed when they watched this. They were like, that didn't exist. This is some like sci-fi shit, you know? But it does. That's the Beverly Hills High School. And it still does that to this day. That's so the gym cool. Floor. Yeah, That's it, so cool. It's Dude, the Beverly Hills Swim the Gym. Beverly Hills yes, High School. Exactly. Has the peasants all around the country were like, no one has that <laughs> shit. And Beverly Hills is like, we do. We do. We do. <laughs> That's cool. I um you know, solid design. 
ergonomical. Yeah. I, I, you know, you're economic for your space. <laughs> I appreciate it. More more gyms should be pools. The Beverly Hills Swim Gym. But uh, <laughs> the Swim Gym. I thought I'd I thought I'd put that in there. That was an interesting little fact. Yeah, that's fun. But uh, that, I, that's basically what I'm giving you now. Is just some fun facts about this movie. There were there were a few things. There were mistakes that got left in too. There's a scene where Uncle Billy, uh, you know. Jimmy Stewart's Uncle Billy in the movie. He's like hammered and he's talking to Jimmy Stewart and he exits frame and you hear just like this huge crash. Like he ran into like a bunch of garbage cans or something. Well, what had really happened is he exit frame and somebody tried to move out of his way and knocked over like thousands of dollars worth of shit. Lights, equipment, all sorts oh, of man. shit. And that big loud sound that you hear is real. That's oh. actual equipment like breaking like thousands oh, of dollars worth of shit. Uh, he didn't get fired. Frank Capra said it was such a perfectly timed sound for mm-hmm. the film, and the guy, the actor, went with it. And he was like, "I'm okay," you know. It was uh-huh. really funny. Yeah. So he gave the guy ten bucks as a bonus. That's which fun. It's like 160 bucks modern See, day. You know, improv. <laughs> improv. <Saving the> day. <laughs> That's funny. Earning some rewards. Yeah. <laughs> Get that shot. Yeah. Get that shot. Hey, if you're gonna fuck up, make it funny. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so after I don't know. I don't know if you don't have any information about this, but after they revolutionized uh, snow, fake snow technology, did other right. films start adopting this? So they were like, there no, were a really lot cool. of them that did. Okay. And Frank Capra was kind of famous for it. He was like famous for like weather in movies, <laughs> which you know it was a big technical feat yeah. back in those days. They were still trying to figure shit out. Yeah. He had done a movie in 1936 called Lost Horizon, and he <laughs> he actually built sets in a giant like refrigerator, like Whoa. a giant like meat refrigerator and he was filming scenes on those sets and you could see the actor's breath for real which was a huge deal it's like you know that was probably some of the one of the first times people had ever even seen that actors actually and they're not on location you know they're on a set yeah so he was kind of famous for that stuff so this was sort of right in his wheelhouse uh, to come up with something new I do wonder who actually it was a prop guy who definitely came mm-hmm. up with that mixture mm-hmm. you know it was a yeah. special effects guy you know Frank mm-hmm. Capper gets a lot of credit for it but yeah. it was some special effects like wizard yeah, some some chemist that he found yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I, so when did they're like let's put petroleum in this <laughs> <laughs> he's got a big brain on him <laughs> what if we just can we sprinkle enough cocaine from the sky to make it look like stuff? We tried that, Frank. Three people died. Too much money, man. <laughs> Get the shot. You, you waste too, too much, much of it, bro. Yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> we want that in our noses, <laughs> not on the set. But um, that's why the the guy who fell during that big crash, he just fell into a pile of cocaine. Snow. He's like, I'm okay. Uh, when did uh, when did color in movies become uh, standardized? Um, oh Lord, standardized. That is a good question. Well, when was, uh, when was The Wizard of Oz? I mean, both TV and film turned to color, like, in the 50s. Yeah. Like, 50s to 60s. Like, the, uh, most programming for television was color in the 60s, mm-hmm. but most of it in, like, the early 50s was not. But I think, like, the presidential campaigns were colorized, televised in color. Yeah. Um, and stuff in the late 50s and, and whatnot. Well, so, like, The Wizard of Oz was, was 1939. Um, 
movies it, did, are different. Did though. every yeah. big studio movie not just immediately adopt it, or it took no, a while? No, because it was very expensive and it was all hand painted. Oh, there what? were people hand painting each frame. What? Of the, yeah. yeah, yeah. The I Wizard it of shot Oz on colored film. Oh no, no, no. The Wizard of Oz was hand painted. Whoa! People went blind doing it. Oh back in my the day, god! Because the chemicals were also like really strong. Oh man! The film and everything. Yeah. We need a. We need an episode. We need an episode on that oh, soon. It, the The Wizard of Oz will be the darkest episode we're ever gonna do. That's one of the reasons why I've been saving it. Okay, like, cool. People were scarred for life, like, you know, almost yeah. dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, the legends behind it, yeah. and then the Judy Garland story. Yeah. It's a heartbreaking fucking yeah. tale. Well, okay, maybe, we'll, maybe I'm not as we'll excited to get to it as Christmas I thought. Christmas 2022. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but another fun fact about It's a Wonderful <laughs> Life. Um, so there's the scene where, uh, you know, the whole, the, the very famous scene here the you want the moon just say the word and i'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down yes you know i'll give you the moon mary Mm -hmm. that whole scene uh where jimmy stewart is nearly 40 years old in a letterman's jacket you know (laughs) kissing donna reed but uh (laughs) so donna reed throws a rock at an old abandoned building Mm -hmm. smashes a window you know (laughs) it's like two kids out on the town having fun smashing windows yeah and um but i mean they even depicted him in the movie he was he had just come back from the war in the movie as well he wasn't he wasn't supposed to be a teenager but but yeah anyway so she like throws this rock well they kept on set. They were getting ready to do the scene, and they were like, "Well, one of these dudes has to throw the rock. This little Donna Reed's not gonna be able to throw a rock." You know? <laughs> and so she fucking picks up a rock and chunks it harder than mm-hmm. all the dudes on set have been doing. It smashes mm-hmm. this window. She was a pitcher for a triple A ball league in Hollywood during World War II That's when the men were so out. funny. She was basically doing like a, a league of their own type of thing. When World War II was going on, and they Amazing. were like, "This little lady can't throw a rock." <laughs> Look at her little arms, you know. <laughs> Amazing. You need a big armed man to throw a rock like that. <laughs> yeah, and for some of those deep cut Frank Capra fans, this was also the film debut of Jimmy the Raven. Uh, Frank Capra had he put this Raven in his film. You can't take it with you in the '30s, and the Raven was like in all of his movies after that. Oh, that's Old cool. Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. Is it the same bird? Yeah, same How bird. How long do ravens live? They live a long Edgar time. Edgar Allan Poe of him. Yeah, <laughs> Jimmy the Raven, man. It was Jimmy Stewart and Jimmy the Raven. Those are Frank Capra's two favorite <laughs> actors. That Jimmy the Raven was probably richer than a lot of people back in that day too. I, I, I always talk about those animal actors and how much money they Do fucking they, make. They get paychecks. Oh yeah, it's their handlers, <laughs> okay, you know. Yeah. But they technically get paid. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's one of the ways into the industry, y'all. If you have a bunch of animals that you can train and put in movies, you can make a lot of money off of it. But um, <laughs> Tiger King. <laughs> so we'll baby. talk about. Tiger exactly. Yeah, dude. Yeah, they did loan some of those tigers for movies, didn't they? Was that sure. before or after they murdered them? <laughs> it was both. It both. They need yeah. some carcasses. Before and after. Yeah. <laughs> man, I tried watching the second season. I haven't gotten all the way through. It's not the same it's... without old Joe, man. Oh, he's not in it? No, because he's in prison. Mm. You know. Well, it's yeah. it's one of those things we were talking about off camera that once you know the joke, it's hard yes. to reproduce it. it like it, I feel like that was a thing that like they're trying to recreate the first one. It's like yeah. the thing of the first one is they didn't know it was a joke. Big Cat yeah. Rescue is here in Tampa. It's That's Carol right. Baskin lives in Tampa, Florida. This has been a thing for forever here. I remember going yeah. to Big Cat Rescue in high school and being like, wow. Oh, hey, 
these cats don't look that happy. What is going on? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll discuss it on an episode about Tommy Wiseau, but definitely the phenomenon of a life and death of like a meme, basically. We're like, if you become famous from being a meme and the joke, you're not in on the joke. But then you get in on the joke, the thing that made you famous for, and you're aware of it, it dies. Yeah, you can't reproduce it. Yeah, it only works because you didn't know you were doing it. Exactly, exactly, yeah. So, uh, man, let's talk about the release of this thing. I was very surprised to hear, yeah, this thing was a total bomb. Um, It's a Wonderful Life comes out December 20th, 1946, just in time for Christmas. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was another one, too. It was a quick turnaround. You know, they were filming this thing in 1946, and it was coming out that year, Mm -hmm. you know. And it totally flops. It... From its whole runtime in theaters, it records a $525,000 loss for RKO, and that's about $8.3 million these days. So it was a bomb. So much so, its opening really? weekend... The depressing Christmas movie didn't do well at the box office? Yeah. <laughs> People watched the trailer and were like, no, <laughs> I'm not going to make that my Christmas movie, if you don't mind. Uh, I got the bishop's wife to go to, you know? The Christmas movie about an angel fucking a guy, a, the, the, the cuck of an angel, the you know? Of an angel. Um, <laughs> City of cucks. B- City of cucks. Uh, cucks with filthy souls, you know? <laughs> but yeah, it's opening weekend. It only made $44,000. And even in today's money, that's like seven hundred fifty grand. So it made less than like a million dollars, basically. Damn. Yeah. And, you know, that's $44,000 on opening weekend for a three-point-some-odd million-dollar movie. Yeah. Um, the production and marketing and everything, they really needed it to do $6 million Uh during its run in the theaters, and it definitely did not. Wow! It was it was nominated though. It was nominated heavily. It was nominated mm-hmm. for best picture, best director for Capra, best actor for Stewart, best film editing, best sound recording, and the technical achievement award. But the only one it won was that technical achievement award. Really? For, like the new way they made it snow in a movie. Ah, uh, yeah. damn. Yeah. Um, did did it get any kind of a bump after the Oscars? No. So it didn't. It actually fell into obscurity like this was a movie that if you mentioned if it was 1955 Mm -hmm. and you asked uh someone have you seen it's a wonderful life there was a good chance that they had never even heard of that yeah like it it disappeared basically there was something interesting happening as well (laughs) we're gonna get back into our capitalist communist talk here (laughs) there was an investigation into this movie by the fbi the fbi did not like this movie at all. <laughs> uh, no, on they, May 26th... Are you going to read their memo? Yeah, yeah. Do you, did you read it? I did. It's, uh, yeah. it's something straight out of J. Edgar Hoover's ass. It, it yeah. is. It even, it even has whoever wrote the memo redacted, and I bet it was, his name was J. Edgar, who got redacted from this J. memo. J. Edgar Scrooge. I'm J. Edgar Potter. Yeah, on May 26, 1947, the Federal Bureau of Investigation issued a memo stating, with regard to the picture, it's a wonderful life, 
Redacted stated in substance that the film represented rather obvious attempts to discredit bankers by casting Lionel Barrymore as a Scrooge type so that he would be the most hated man in the picture. This, according to these sources, is a common trick used by communists. In addition, Redacted stated that, in his opinion, this picture deliberately maligned the upper class, attempting to show the people who had money were mean and despicable characters. Oh my god. The FBI called that when you were saying that earlier, I was trying so hard not to spoil this because oh this had to be Oh my god. Excellent, dude. Fucking yeah, <laughs> bankers, the most oppressed group in the country. We've gotta save the bankers' fifis. <laughs> it's so funny, man. The FBI was, and uh, dude, that might have been one of the reasons why this thing failed. I, I wonder if the FBI was running kind of a smear cam- campaign mm, against it a little yeah, bit. You know? or, yeah, I mean, Don't they didn't release that, that memo. Film. It's full of commies. It's full, of commies. <laughs> it's full of commies. The commie Christmas film, you <laughs> the know. Commie Christmas. Dude, that's so funny. Yeah, no, I mean I called it. It is. It's a very it's a it's it's a very progressive yeah. movie well, about class, labor, and like, you yeah. know, economic like circumstances. Work your whole life. Yeah. You and I, Drake, can both agree that, you know, maybe bankers aren't the best person to victimize (laughs) and say oh poor bankers like i mean banking in and of itself is un-american despite what hamilton wants you to think (laughs) so so fuck the fbi and fuck that quote there's a reason why you haven't heard of liberty films after it's a it's a wonderful life liberty films had borrowed more than 1.5 million dollars to make this film and with the box office return the production company basically went bankrupt Mm -hmm. they were sold off to paramount for like pennies on the dollar Paramount bottom absorbed them up like mm. those studios like to do. And even Frank Capra, this hurt his career. He only did five movies after this. Oh. And they say, he doesn't say it. He was kind of at the end of his career anyway. He had mm. uh, he had made huge, huge films throughout the 30s. Then he went to World War II and mm. did this historic thing. And he didn't even know it, but this thing became huge later, mm. you know. But he only did like five films after this and kind of went off into like you know, no more movies for old Frank. There mm. were, but there were studios who said like, he's done. This is it. Interesting. Like, he came back from world war two and it's kind of like the same Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, thing. It's that, like he lost something. That's the thing. Over there. Yeah. It's like, yeah. there are very real consequences to coming back. No matter what the sabbaticals for, even if it's for something as just as fighting the Nazis, right. anytime you leave and you come back, there's big expectations to live up to your past yeah. work. And if you can't, it's, it could be the end of your career. And there's no way that your art isn't going to change after yeah. witnessing mass death and, Right. Front of you every yeah. day. Even if it's you know? even if it hasn't gotten worse, people might not just like the new direction. Yeah, it's just a and different like it takes arc. years and years for people to appreciate. Right, you know that. So, I mean, my next question would be like, when did it get the respect it deserves? Yeah. But I assume that's where we're getting into next. It is a clerical error that made this movie as popular as it is today. The the reason why we have seen this so many times now was because of these ownership and copyright issues that happen with this movie. So, Liberty Films was purchased by Paramount Mm -hmm. when they went belly up, 
And they remained a subsidiary until 1951. And in 1955, M&A Alexander purchased the movie. This included key rights to the original television syndication, the entire uh, original nitrate film elements they now own, the music score, the film rights to the story on which the film is based, The Greatest Gift. So they, they just fucked that. up the copyright renewal? It was a fuck-up copyright renewal. National Telefilm Associates took over the rights to the film soon after... And a clerical error at NTA, National Telefilm Associates, prevented the copyright from being renewed properly in 1974. Saw this a lot. We saw this a lot with wow. these old movies. These uh, Dev and I talked about it even back in the original iteration of this show, how these copyrights wouldn't be done right, mm-hmm. and these films went to public you know, pretty mm-hmm. soon. That's what happened with Reefer Madness. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. The, when those colleges were touring it around and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, some of this stuff became total public domain. Uh, despite the lapsed copyright, television stations that aired it still had to pay royalties because though the film's images had entered the public domain, the film's story was still restricted as a derivative work of the published story, The Greatest Gift, whose copyright Philip Van Doren Stern had renewed in 1971. Uh. So he now is the guy to make money off of this. Wow. Yeah. Okay. He wrote a Christmas card for his friends, <laughs> sold it to RKO, and then in 1970s, he and his family are the ones to be making money off of it now. Cool. You know? I mean, if anyone's going to be doing it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. I'd rather be him than, you know, someone else. Some random person, yeah, I guess. some random banker. Some, yeah, some <laughs> evil banker. <laughs> so, basically what happens is, the film becomes a perennial holiday favorite in the 1980s, possibly due to its repeat showings each holiday season on hundreds of local TV stations. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they're just playing it. It was kind of cheap. It's got mm-hmm. these weird copyright it's mm-hmm. hardly anyone's work. So yeah. TV just started running it like crazy during the holidays, you know, mm-hmm. and that's when it became such a staple for what Christmas. Year was this? In the 70s? In the 80s. In the 80s. The 70s is when the copyright. Wow. So it didn't yeah. get big till the 80s? No, on local TV, wow. basically, for people. Like a bunch of uh, affiliates were and people showing this thing. And people watched this NBC random old movie on TV and was like, oh, this is really good. Yeah, actually. I mean, it, it was the 80s. You yeah. know, if something's coming on TV and yeah. it's, it's either that or. Yeah. Something a Motley Crue concert. You know? <laughs> it was like, oh, let's check out this old this old holiday movie. Oh, yeah. this is actually great. It's Why either, does no one ever talk about this? It's either that or Kiss Saves Christmas. You know? <laughs> I'd watch that. Yeah, me too. That's actually pretty rad. Was that a real thing? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Kiss cool. Saves Christmas. Yeah, Sick. Kiss Saves Santa. They I do have the power of metal. Yeah, they do cool. actually. Okay. <laughs> Their guitars like shoot out Christmas spirit and shit. It's really amazing. Great. That's and then amazing. you can go to Rock and Brews and get a sparkler cake that says, "Hey, we sold out for corporatism." yeah man kiss definitely sold to the corporate monster (laughs) but yeah frank capra shortly before his death in the 80s he did an interview with the wall street journal and he said it's the damnedest thing i've ever seen the film has a life of its own now and i can look at it like i had nothing to do with it i'm like a parent whose kid grows up to be president i'm proud but it's the kid who did the work i didn't even think of it as a christmas story when i first ran across it i just liked the idea <laughs> so he didn't even film it like a Christmas movie in his mind. That's you know, funny. It's just a suicide movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So again, though, in 1993, legalities rewrote the history of It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, the Supreme Court's previous ruling in... The Supreme Court had this whole 
battle going on. Stuart v. Abend. Um, it established a precedent that allowed the film's original copyright owner, Republic Pictures, to regain its ownership of the movie. I don't have a whole lot of details here, honestly, but it was Jimmy Stewart was suing for some rights of another movie that he had done, and this movie also came up in the in mm. the lawsuit. Um, and it's the ruling claim that since Republic owned the copyright of the on the original short story which the movie was based on and the score for the film, they in essence still owned the movie. Mm-hmm. So what was once a near barrage of networks airing It's a Wonderful Life, it got all narrowed down to NBC. Ah, uh, now this is an NBC movie. Yeah. Okay. And so NBC started playing it every holiday, and they still have the the rights to this thing. Okay. Um, Did they absorb RKO? They went defunct in 1959. They were one of the big five studios. So first RKO, Howard Hughes took over RKO in 1948. <laughs> and, uh, you know, no surprise there. It was uh, not controlled very well <laughs> <laughs> under him. And then it was acquired by the General Tire and Rubber Company in 1955. <laughs> what? <laughs> Remember, man, tires and cheese make your TV. Yeah, that's right. You know, yeah. It's Craft oh, yeah, the travel and, books, yeah. <laughs> it's Craft and Michelin, yeah. you know. <laughs> the original RKO picture ceased production in 1957 and was effectively dissolved two years later. Uh, 1981, broadcaster RKO General, the corporate heir, revived the studio as a production subsidiary, RKO Pictures Inc. And in 1989, this business, with its remaining assets, including the trademarks and remake rights to many classic RKO films, uh, was sold to new owners who operate the small independent company RKO Pictures LLC. So it's still around. It's just owned by completely different people. I guess they probably licensed NBC. Yeah. So. Yeah, they're licensed to NBC and NBC... Yeah, NBC still uh, has it. The NBC paid for exclusive rights to air the movie. Wow. Which is why you'll only see It's a Wonderful Life on TV once or twice during the holidays on NBC. Wow. Yeah, or Amazon Prime, like I said. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, sure. I mean, you can rent it anywhere. Yeah, of course. Right? You can rent and buy it yeah. anywhere. But... but if you're talking about the old rabbit ears TV, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're going to catch this on NBC right around this time. Yeah, or know. Peacock. Yeah, Peacock. Yeah, stream it on Peacock. Peacock's awesome, dude. Oh, really? <laughs> Peacock okay. is good. Oh, yeah, oh like, really? Peacock is a good streaming cool, service. You okay. almost don't need a lot of other ones with oh, Peacock. Yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll turn, go, to a, turn to an NBC commercial yeah. again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, put me on Peacock. Film history brought to you by Peacock. But, uh, <laughs> Exclusively on Peacock. <laughs> so yeah, the film that killed a production company 70 years ago <laughs> is now an annual television event and part of countless family traditions around the globe. And it turns out Capra always knew what audience wanted. He just, uh, he didn't know it at the time. He's writing for the future, man. He's writing for the future, man. That's right. So, I mean, th- when this came out, obviously we got nominated for all these Oscars. It was well-received. Like, it, like uh, the reviews were good. People the critics, always, yeah, right. People always liked it. It just probably didn't have a whole lot of, uh, like, exposure. Yeah. And then, yeah, like, the FBI was running running smear campaigns, maybe. Right, yeah. You know? Um, it, and it's just one of those things, like, this happens a lot where it's like, a movie will come out and like for whatever reason the marketing just misses. Yeah, for and sure. And people just for don't sure. see it. And then it, you find out years later it was like, yo, you remember that movie no one saw? It's yeah. actually really good. It's like, yeah. oh, really? Let me see what it was coming out against. <laughs> it was coming out against movies like The Farmer's Daughter, uh, The Pearl, Duel in the Sun, Great Expectations. 
It was a big year for movies that year. All classics. All classics. I actually have, have you heard of any of those? Yeah, I've heard of a few oh, of those. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. Yeah, but I it's still I don't know, something weird yeah. happened with this film. I don't yeah. know why it tanked so hard to be honest. I mean, it's Dev was saying Dev was saying it the right way. I think yeah. it was just a movie about suicide. Yeah. That was coming out around Christmas of 1946 yeah, when it looked people... depressing right after the war. It's like you want uplifting yeah. movies, things that are jolly. Yeah. You know, uh the Red Scare is happening. No one wants to be just labeled a communist because they went to go see uh, <laughs> right. It's a Wonderful yeah. Life. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. For sure, for sure. Yeah, so that's probably why. It <laughs> but, <laughs> but it did eventually now it's definitely i don't know how much money it's made to this day now the domestic box office overall looks like it's 6.6 6 million international 4.1 million coming out to like 10.8 million dollars uh worldwide box office and blu-ray sales 5.2 million domestic video sales 5.2 million it, it still hasn't made a ton of money. Yeah. You know, it's definitely... And that kind of makes sense. I mean, yeah. it is a staple for many Americans, but not all. Yeah, Not yeah, like Home Alone. Yeah, it's, it's not doing Home Alone numbers. Right. And I mean, I, I guess that doesn't factor in what it makes off of the commercials, like, right. running, like running on network TV, like right. the syndication money. I think that's kind of hard to quantify. Yeah, um, yeah, for so, sure. Yeah. Uh, did it did it make its money back though eventually? Like, eventually, yeah. yeah eventually I mean, they not made for the, the money people back. who spent it. But. No, no. <laughs> for their kids and grandkids. Yeah. Yeah. But. Yeah. I mean, we're talking like it probably didn't turn a profit again until the eighties and nineties. Yeah. You know. And I honestly think it's one of those things that uh, the legend is bigger than the source material. Like yeah. the how many spoofs, parodies, and references Absolutely. And this thing has spawned is probably boxing outside of its weight class. Yeah. Every time a bell rings, <laughs> an angel earns its wings. Yeah. Like, that's been in everything now, mm-hmm. you know? People yeah. oh, people reference, it's a wonderful... But, uh, uh, that's I'll what, lasso a moon. You know, but like we, <laughs> like we always say, you don't get paid for memes. Nope. So. Yep. You get famous from them, but you don't get paid. Yeah. <laughs> so. But yeah, that's uh, It's a Wonderful Life. For, Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> that was uh, It's a Wonderful Life. I hope all of you are out there having a wonderful life. <laughs> yeah, know. this is our last episode before the actual day of Christmas. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is coming out Christmas Eve Eve, so Merry Christmas <laughs> Eve Eve, everyone. Yeah, so we don't, we don't know exactly what we'll be back with the next one. It's still December, but it's not, yeah. it's not Christmas anymore, so we'll see. We'll play it by ear. We have some ideas, but we're not too sure yet, but... Uh, you know, what? no matter what holiday you're celebrating, I uh, hope it's a jolly one. Yes. Uh, if it's no holiday, hope you just have a good December. The end of the year is, is, uh, is important, Definitely. regardless of your traditions. Definitely. Yeah, and this is a bummer, but we did talk a lot about suicide today, and if you're having troubles out there, please uh, give that hotline a call. Um, but hopefully hopefully this episode didn't bring you down too much for Christmas. <laughs> you have the number, by the way? Yeah, help is available at 1-800-273-8255. That is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Um, I just wanted to put it out there because we did we did talk about that quite yeah. a lot today. You and, know? and I and I mean this this uh, story has depressing elements to it. And like we've mentioned before, it doesn't end with a uh, perfect ending for right. these characters. It's kind of like the characters have learned to make the best of a bad situation. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's important for multiple reasons. One, take solace in the fact that, like, even if things haven't gone your dream way, there is still a lot of, there's it's still a wonderful life. There's still a lot exactly. of joy to have out of the situation you are in. And then if you 
uh, don't like being in a system that doesn't allow for upward mobility based on your class, then maybe advocate for policies and politicians that are trying to change the status quo of our economic structure. Don't let the FBI hear you say that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's it. That'll uh, Merry Christmas, everyone. I really genuinely hope you're all out there having a great one. Uh, hopefully it's a nice, uh, you know, cold Christmas or hot Christmas, however you like it. (laughs) (laughs) And I hope you're surrounded by friends and family. You can find me at Drake Cummings on Instagram, at Drake underscore Cummings on Twitter, and at Hollywood Drake on TikTok. Pretty soon, uh, my YouTube will be, uh, flooded with videos as well, so you can find me just Drake Cummings on YouTube. Uh, and, uh, happy holidays. Happy holidays. Uh, and just a quick... Um, programming note uh, for everyone uh, we had mentioned in a prior episode that uh, the first episode of Game History History of Games uh, the spinoff uh, that I am writing will be available as our Christmas present to you on Christmas Day uh, due to a variety of scheduling conflicts and people going out of town and you know other things like that uh, we will not be able to record that episode uh, before before I leave town so uh, that episode will be promptly delivered to you uh, in the new year. It'll be a late Christmas present. We're not an omnipotent yeah. being like Santa, <laughs> you know. So that episode will go up on the first of the new year. It'll be oh. our new year present to you. Yes. And will not count as a January episode, so there will still be a another January episode of Film History yeah. that goes up on our Patreon uh, at the end of January. Yep. But, uh, but this will be our late Christmas gift to you, our late Hanukkah present, our late holiday uh, you know, uh, offering. So uh, uh, the episode is written, it's ready to go, and then I get back last week of December. So we're going to record that when I get back, and it'll be ready to go. It's a fun one. If if you're not into video games, I think you'll still have a really fun time. Just like James tries to do, I try to make it interesting to everyone, not just interesting to people who are like obsessed with the medium. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Coming in the new year, we're going to have a cool Patreon. I think y'all are really going to like it. We're going to have a lot of. History of everything, the history of everything. Everything history, <laughs> the history of everything. <laughs> you can find me at Sailor underscore Dev on Instagram and Abracadabra Dev on Twitter. You can find us at uh, Film History, the History of Film, all over the social medias. Maybe it's FHHF Podcast, depending on where you're looking. You can find me at either Jimmy Deloy or James Wyatt Scott. And you can also find me just off camera uh, from Frank Capra of It's a Wonderful Life, smashing thousands of dollars <laughs> worth of equipment on purpose, because I know I'm going to get that little $10 bonus at the end of this. <laughs> and that's been Film History, The History of Film. Merry Christmas, everyone. Good night. You know what I'm talking about!